Hello and welcome to Literary Merit, the show where we tell you what media has value. Spoiler alert, it's all of it. Also, spoiler alert, we'll be discussing spoilers as usual, so here is your warning. I am Ashley. And I'm Alex. And I'll start by asking, what's new to you, Alex? Well, work. Uh, got my first mm-hmm. first full paycheck, and that was really nice. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm like, not... I'm trying my very best to, like, not even pay attention to it and pretend I don't have that money so that it gets, like... <laughs> you just save it, yeah. Kind of. Um, and then today, I have the day off because uh, banks are closed on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And I went, I wanted to go like, I don't know, find something at like a vintage or resale shop at, of cl- for clothing in Portland, but I didn't find a single darn thing. Oh. It, made me, it made me sad. Yeah, well, you win some, you lose some. That's that's vintage shopping. Well, yeah, and I went to the places I've been to a, a, a couple times, and they're just I don't know, they're they're okay. But where do you go? Well, today I went to um, the Buffalo Exchange that is by the Powells on Hawthorne. Or no, okay. not, not not Hawthorne. I get them all mixed up. The smaller uh, yeah, Powells, yeah. because yeah. there's yeah, also a Buffalo Exchange next to the bigger Powells. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to the other one. And then there's a another shop called Crossroads across the street. Hmm. And then there's one about uh, half a mile down called like Vintage House or something like that. And it was just like really big and confusing and full of really dirty, ugly clothing that they're just like, <laughs> they obviously just found at Goodwill and they're just trying to sell. It like wasn't even worth anything. Oh, God. Do you ever go to the red light? On Hawthorne? I did. I did. Um, I think I went in there today. Yes, I did. Oh. It smelled really bad in there. And it was it's really crazy. I mean, it, I mean, it's just, it's just um, incense, but it's like so strong that I was just mm-hmm. like, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. Uh, yeah, that's my, my Portland vintage shop of choice. I found some pretty good stuff there, but I don't go very frequently. Yeah, it was all just like basic graphic tees for and I just didn't like it. Uh, well, I guess I'm not very familiar with the men's department, so. <laughs> yeah, it, it just wasn't exciting. I mean, there were some cool, uh, okay shoes, but they weren't. I mean, when you know, finding your size is just like you know, needle in the haystack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've found some pretty cool men's jackets there. Uh, yeah, I was just for my I brothers. Was, but. I was just over like I was. I didn't. I thought it was going to be cooler than it was. So I, oh. I, I have like uh, workout leggings on. So I was just like hot and I didn't want to get anything like kind of cool, like any yeah. fun yeah, jackets because I, I was overheated, you know? <laughs> yeah, like this is not what I'm looking for today. Yeah. So <laughs> I just, you know, and then I went into the, the that, that Powell's there. Um, but I was like, I have three library books that I need to read. Plus all the <laughs> other books I bought at Powell's that I need to read. So there's no point in buying more <laughs> sure but it's still fun to look around yeah it, i mean yeah it was but i, I don't know it was just, i was just i don't know even now like i'm just such in a like a i don't know weird mood so let's try to 
fix that. Yeah, we'll have a fun conversation, and then it'll turn around. So what have you been doing? <laughs> oh, well, you know. <laughs> I, uh, I spent the weekend at Great Wolf Lodge again, like last year for my niece's birthday, and it was pretty fun. It was uh, actually the most fun part of it was um, hanging out with my my new niece, my uh, my brother's stepdaughter, because uh, she's such a little card. I she, she's a great niece. She just turned five, but she's mm-hmm. like the tiniest child. You met her because her name her she's the one who's also named Alex. Oh yeah, you, you met her at my wedding, and she's teeny weeny, <laughs> and she's super cute, and if it, she is. Like a morbid little thing. She's so funny. She loves like scary movies and creepy stuff. Uh, she was wearing a, a hair clip with a skull on it. I was like, oh, that's oh, such a cool goodness. hair clip. It's got a skull. And she's like, yeah, and I also have a ring that has a skull on it. <laughs> and uh, Steve, my brother, was telling me uh, one time they were they were driving down the road and they were passing a cemetery. And she was like, Steve, Steve, can we go to the graveyard? And he's like, <laughs> why do you want to go to a graveyard? And she's like, to get some bones. <laughs> so she's pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> she's so, and she's just so cute and tiny that like, even when she's like having a tantrum and like getting all cranky, she's still super cute. Like, I don't <laughs> understand. She's super duper cute. So that was, uh, that was a lot of fun just to play with her, her teeny tiny little self. But uh, yeah, birthday times, that was good. It's good to hang out with my family. And uh, actually today is uh, her mom, my my sister-in-law, her birthday, because it's just birthday season now. Mm -hmm. June and September are the big birthday months. Well, it's weird because there was a time when... it was just my birthday. Like, like the only family birthday in this time of year was mine. And now we've got <laughs> Tessa's and then, no, Alex's, then Tessa's, then my, then Kaylee's, then mine. And it's just like, bam, 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 one after another. Just everybody's got birthdays right now. So uh, it's not, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult to juggle them now, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but it's nice. Uh, they're all lovely and I love them and it's it's wonderful to celebrate birthdays but uh yeah I don't know not much to say oh I did see this baby at Great Wolf Lodge (laughs) you've got to hear about this baby okay because you know they do that magic quest thing I was kind of talking about that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and so there's all these kids running around with like magic wands and stuff I saw this little baby boy he was just a teeny weeny little baby um, he was wearing his little swim diaper and his little swim trunks, no shirt, no shoes, a big pointy wizard hat, <laughs> and he was carrying around a wand. This wizard hat was like almost as big as he was. It was the funniest thing. This is a big, big, big pointy hat. He <laughs> was just a baby wizard, and it was the best thing I saw all weekend. I mean, that kind of reminds me of a character in, in, uh, that relates to our topic today. Um, oh really? Well, then we'll have to from, get her out of it. From um, from House of Bean Castle, the the little apprentice. Oh, Markle, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this guy was like teeny tiny. That was the funniest yeah. thing. Like I just saw him walking by, and I was like, "Whoa! Oh my god! Look at that!" 
there was a bird flying around in the lobby. That was fun. Alex was trying so hard to catch the bird or like pet the bird. She just really wanted to make friends with this bird. She like <laughs> walked up to it with her little finger out, like trying to get it to like land on her finger. It's like, oh, that's so cute, sweetie. But no, the bird's not going to land on you. <laughs> <laughs> just breaking her Disney princess dreams. I know, she wanted to commune with the bird. It was very sweet. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a uh, that's about it. You want to just uh, get right to it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, because um, I wonder, I wonder if th- we're doing a first here. Because what we're doing today is we are responding to uh, Mikey Newman's lessons animation taught us project where he invited people to make their own youtube videos uh like his about uh, animated films from their lives that impacted them and talk about how they were impacted and what kinds of messages and ideas these films are imparting and why that's important um and he was specifically asking people to make youtube videos so i wonder if like anybody's done a podcast about it yet I'm, I'm, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they had, since that's like the main form of communication these days. <laughs> hey, everybody's it's got a podcast. Podcast about it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was really glad when you brought it up because I was like, I have, I really don't have any means to do a video, so I can't really, or didn't feel like I could do that. So I'm glad that we can at least you know, talk about it it. this way. Yeah. I certainly haven't seen, um, cause you know, Mikey's been sort of promoting and like responding to, uh, people sharing their videos with him. And he's been putting together like a YouTube playlist of all of the, uh, contributions that have, you know, passed by him, but I haven't seen anything about any podcasts. So if somebody has done one, I don't know if they've like told Mikey, (laughs) cause he's like, he would say something. So we'll see. Yeah. I don't know, but this is uh, this is exciting. This is fun. It's I mean, obviously, this is a topic that is extremely near and dear to my heart. So yeah, well, I think we'll have a. a I mean, we we we've already mentioned a lot of the movies. We're probably going to continue to mention. Just, <laughs> yeah. You know, because because they're so big and important. They're to important us. to us, and yeah, we've had things to say in the past. Well, why don't you start? So the first thing I wrote down is actually not a movie, but I think it entirely counts for this project. Um, it was The Last Airbender. Oh, man. I, you know, I've been meaning to watch that oh, like, my goodness. for okay. years. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So tell me about it. You need to <laughs> watch me. it. As soon as we're done, just skip your skip the part birthday. Skip the birthday dinner. This is priority number one, like priority before the magicians. This is this is like <laughs> oh man. So important. Okay, so basically, I'll I'll give you a, a backstory. When I first saw the trailer for this show on Nickelodeon back in the day, I legitimately thought it was like a a Nickelodeon produced Miyazaki film. <laughs> because because the the style especially initially in the first um the pilot um the style is strikingly similar and that's in, in, completely intentional on the creator's part um, yeah they're, they're trying to look like an anime well they're trying to look like an anime but they're also so influenced by miyazaki and how could you not be yeah. um, 
and and just like the like the visual language that they use and the their their creatures uh, there's a lot of actually almost every creature in the avatar universe is a mashup of two or more creatures so like in the in the pilot there's penguins at the south pole and they have like two sets of flippers and they have like whiskers and mm. so the but they just call them penguins, but I think they're like a mix of a, like a seal and a penguin or something. Um, and then of course the, their main friend, Appa, the sky bison has six legs and is heavily influenced by the cat bus and Totoro. Oh yeah. I can see that. And they've, and they've been very forthcoming with that. Like <laughs> they're like, that's exactly where he comes from. Um, and it's just, it's just such a good show. And it, at first it's all fun and games and then it's like oh wait there's really sad stuff happening here and then it gets really intense and then season two is like oh we're gonna ramp it up because now there's like a villain like an actual villain that's not just like this faraway person and then season mm-hmm. three it's just like bananas bananas just like like in enemy territory like and and with moral dilemmas. So one of the this is kind of a spoiler, but it's not gonna ruin it for you. Um, the main dilemma that comes up in the finale, which is a four part finale, is that Aang, the main character, the last Airbender, has to decide if he's gonna kill the main villain or not. Because, right. Because he was always taught by the air nomads, who are sort of like this. Uh, race of monks um, that killing is forbidden. Harming anyone is forbidden uh, other than defense. Um, And so he has this moral decision and he, he reaches out to his past lives and his friends and nobody can give him this, this answer of what he's supposed to do. And it's just really special. And you're right there with him. You're like, why can't you just kill him? But also like, you can't just kill him, you know? Right. Right. And it's just, it's, and it's, a, there's like so much stuff about friendship and both, uh, romantic and non-romantic love. Um, and it's, I, I just can't even like describe it without you having seen it. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, and they, and yeah, I don't, you know, don't worry about it. Like, I, I think that I would probably enjoy it regardless of a thing. I mean, I've, I've lived in the world since it's come out, so like, there's definitely some spoilers I've already gotten. And this is oh, a, yeah. this is a spoilerific well, show. So, and it's like, like I said, the spoilers aren't even the part. It's like how it's put, how it's shown to you, and like. The, the music, oh my goodness. Like, the music in both uh, The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra is just, like, so spectacular. Mm. Like, in some ways... Yeah, I know, it looks cool. In, in, a, in, a, in a lot of ways, I would say it's probably stronger than in a lot of the Miyazaki movies. Because... What? Because, well, think of, think of any of... Or most of the Miyazaki movies, you don't immediately think of the music in those movies. I do. Which one? Okay, my what, neighbor Totoro it, has some pretty great music. 
and Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke. Okay, like well. they've all got great music. Don't <laughs> even don't play. Maybe I should talk about it like that, but but it, but I mean, Airbender is just like it's three seasons of all of the stuff that is packed into one Miyazaki movie. Mm-hmm. With no, all I'm, of yeah, the I'm like sure. the like character development and more moral issues and and fun oh there's so much fun and so <laughs> funny and they it they treat every character even the villains or some of the villains like they're fully fleshed out characters like i would say one of my favorite characters in the entire show is uh one of the villains uh, azula and she is just out of her gourd so vile um Mm -hmm. and so smart and she's always 10 steps ahead of everyone but then at the end when she gets what she wants she starts to lose it and she unravels and it's so spooky and so beautiful the way they show it and there's even a there's even a single scene where it looks like it's straight out of spirited away with the, the 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 scenery. Well, I think that the uh, the the most sort of crucial ingredient to the whole lessons animation taught us concept is like, what do you think um, Last Airbender is telling people who watch it? Like, what do you think it's it's really saying and and demonstrating to be you know truths and things that they, might be taken away from it? I think number one is compassion. Number one is compassion. It teaches us to, in a way, love your enemy, um, but also, you know, seek justice. Um, One of the lines I was just revisiting it this morning, uh, in the finale, Aang reaches out to his past lives and he reaches out to a, um, a past airbender who sort of would understand him, where he's coming from. And she says, only through justice can be there be peace. And I think that is such an important thing to say, um, especially nowadays when we are seeking seeking justice and we so rarely get it, or, or we see people seeking justice and them not getting it. Um, and then another really less um, spelled out thing that I learned is that it teaches you about the differences in people. So we have our main little cast of the friends and they all have, you know, there's a waterbender, there's an airbender, there's a firebender and there's uh, an earthbender. And then there's Sokka who doesn't have any bending. He's just a kid. And when he starts to feel bad about that, his friends are like, no, you're awesome. We couldn't do this without you. Uh, and then he has you his own other like, ways to. Yeah, exactly. But then he has his own little like character episode where he finds his own master and he learns how to fight without bending, and it's really special. And so it's like sort of this fun and entertaining way to show people like you might feel envious or bad for not 
having things that other people have. It just, what you need to do is find what you, what you can have for yourself. That's yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody's and got, think, got their own special way of, of, you know, being helpful and, and being, yeah. Yeah. And then That's of course nice. also forgiveness. So the main villain in the first two, two, two and a half seasons is Prince Zuko. And in the last few episodes, they have to, he has to like deal with how to apologize to everybody and they have to deal with how to forgive him. And it's yeah, really- Yeah, he has to atone and- Exactly, exactly. He has to atone and they have to all on their own, which is really cool. They all get, basically all of the main characters get an episode with him to forgive him in their own way, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. like in a movie, in a Miyazaki movie, you might get that because he's very, you know, smart and knows how to do <laughs> things, how to, how to like make things happen in that runtime. But in like a Hollywood action movie, you would not get that, period. Yeah, you know, I know what you mean. There's just not time for that kind of an arc. Exactly, for that room to breathe, for that... Um, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. how long did it take Loki to do that? You know, how many movies <laughs> before <laughs> Loki managed to come around to, you know, exactly. being an ally again? Exactly. Well, wonderful. Yeah, no, that's... I've been... I've been meaning to watch that for a long time. I know I need to... <laughs> I know I need to get on that one. I'm sure I'm going to love it when I do watch it. I think it would be really fun for you to watch it with somebody, too, because it's such a, like you need other people's reactions yeah. because because there are moments where you're like so just like laughing your head off and there are moments when you're just like really crying because it's because it's either so sad or so beautiful well it sounds pretty good to me (laughs) (laughs) i think it's probably on amazon prime right now it used to be on netflix but it's not right now huh okay well i'll take a look i'll look around for it and see where i can find it do you have something that yeah. first off the top of so, your head, like your first thought when you were trying to think of this? Of some uh, something that I wanted to talk about? Yeah. Well, what I decided to do, because, you know, what, what, what Mikey did is he went back and he chose movies that were like really sort of influential on his life for one reason or another. Something, you know, something mm-hmm. that he really loved, something that you know, he watched over and over or something. And so I was like, what movies did I actually watch? Like as a kid, what movies did I go back to? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's thinking like, yeah, you know, I didn't really watch the big and very good Disney cartoons when I was a kid. Like the ones that I really <laughs> went back to over and over were some slightly weirder choices <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, the main one that I want to talk about is the uh, 1993 film um, We're Back. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Because I watched that tape a lot. Um, And it's a weird one that people don't talk about anymore. And, like, some people don't remember it. You know, it's it's not one that's passed down now. And I was like, but, like, there was something about it that made me love it, that made me want to go back to it. Yeah, I was like, what is it that I that I saw in this that I didn't see at the time in something like The Little Mermaid? You know, I, I, I'm sure I watched it. I had the tape of that, too. But I think I probably watched We're Back a lot more. So for <laughs> the uninitiated, um, it's a, 
the concept of this film is extremely bizarre. It's a weird science fiction cartoon. Um, Basically, this guy, Captain New Eyes, played by Walter Cronkite. uh, (laughs) He's this guy from the far future. He created a cereal called Brain Grain that makes you very smart. So he's made a lot of money. Uh, He's basically set for life off of this Brain Grain. And he's decided he wants to be altruistic in his golden years and try to, you know, make the world a better place. Make, I don't know, like history a better place. He he made this machine called the Wish Radio on, on which he can hear the wishes of all the children in the world. <laughs> <laughs> this is all backstory. Uh, and I he's know, like, that's okay, like the first two the, minutes the, of the movie. <laughs> And apparently the number one wish that he just hears over and over and over from the children of planet Earth is, I wish I could see a real dinosaur. (laughs) So he decides to travel back in time with his little alien friend who was played by, oh gosh, John Lovitz? No, yeah, John Lovitz, I believe it was. (laughs) He travels back to prehistory force feeds a bunch of dinosaurs some brain grain, makes them smart and friendly with his magic cereal, and then transports them to 20th century uh, New York City (laughs) so that they can meet some children and make them happy. Uh, He's got a friend working at the Natural Museum of History, played by Julia Child. (laughs) There's a very (laughs) good voice cast in this movie. She's waiting for them to show up. He just sort of plops them, like, in the middle of the river. Uh, I don't really know why they get dropped off there. Um, And they're supposed to make their way to the Museum of Natural History so that she can set up a living dinosaur exhibit with them. Uh, And he says, watch out for my brother, uh, Professor Screw Eyes. (laughs) Because he's a bad (laughs) fella who runs... Yeah, he's a bad fella who runs an evil circus. (laughs) So just steer clear of him. And they run into this little boy, Louie, who's running away from home to join the circus. Guess which circus? And Mm -hmm. they kind of, he's like an unsupervised friggin' 12-year-old, like going down the Hudson River. I don't understand. Uh, He's like on this homemade (laughs) raft and they like crush his raft. And he's like, no, I can't get to the circus. And they're like, we're trying to get to the Museum of Natural History. He's like, hey, that's right by where I'm going. You get me there and I'll help you out. It'll be great. He's this great little streetwise kid. I love him a lot. He's got this cute little Brooklyn accent. He's a good kid. Um, anyway, they, uh, Louie and this girl that they meet, played by Yardley Smith, who's um, Lisa Simpson, uh, they... Those kids tried, they joined Professor Screw Eye Circus, and then the dinosaurs were like, oh no, that's the bad guy. And it's this whole adventure about like taking care of your friends and being selfless and stuff. It's weird. It's weird it's as so hell. Weird. <laughs> it's the weirdest movie. I would say it's definitely on par for weirdness with uh, The Secret of Nim. Yeah. They're I mean, just and really like. weird. They're really weird. I feel like The Secret of Nim makes maybe more sense, though, oh, just no. because it's kind it does, of like because a... Because it's actually based off of something? 
<laughs> yeah, we're back. It's just like a lot of stuff. It's like the number one wish of all children on Earth is to meet a dinosaur. And and time travel and brain grain. Yeah. Yeah, aliens. And like, so I guess Professor Screw Eyes is also a time traveler, which just doesn't seem to enter into the equation at all, except he's got his own radio, his fear radio, and he finds out that like <laughs> children are most scared of monsters. He's got this scary circus for scaring people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a it's like a scary haunted house circus. <laughs> I think everyone's <laughs> looking for I think our taste in in animation should just go to the IMDb page for uh, we're back and look at the people who like this also liked because every yeah. single one on there is gold. Yeah, like, I, and and okay, so here's yeah. the crazy thing about this movie because I remember like this is such a weird film and like. It's, I mean, it's got a crazy... John Goodman plays Rex, the main character, and, like, it's it's crazy. Um, but I was like, like, what? Like, I, I, I had a feeling. I was, like, worried, like, I was going to go back and be like, oh, no, like, this is weird and dumb and not well made. I was pleasantly surprised. It's actually <laughs> wonderful. It's crazy, but, like, the writing works and the animation looks good. Um, Professor Screw Eyes is still scary as hell. Uh, <laughs> it's insane, but it, like, it still works. Uh, it's, it's very much a story about, like, children running away from home because it's all framed with Rex telling this baby bird about the story. Like Rex is like telling the tale of when he, like how he got to New York city and like met this kid who was running away to join the circus. This bird is unhappy with his life and like his siblings are mean to him. And so <laughs> he's like, I knew a kid who was running away. Let me tell you about it. And like, I totally get why. Um, oh gosh. What's the girl? I can't even think of the little girl's name right now. I feel bad because I just watched the movie. Um, but she's running away from home because she's really very sad. Like her parents, it's it's Thanksgiving and her parents aren't home. Like her dad is working and her mom is visiting friends. And she's just this little like Manhattan socialite child, like at home alone. And she's just like lonely and like neglected. And so... Louis convinces her to run away from home with, they've just met. And Louis's like, hey, come on and join the circus with me. And she's like, okay. Uh, it's very <laughs> weird. Um, but like, I don't know. It's not clear why Louis's running away. Like, a sense of, all he has said about his home life is that his mom, like, gives him annoying kisses. So it's like, you know, it sounds like you've got a pretty okay mom. But, uh, <laughs> like, these these kids just, like, are very sad and and lonely and like looking for friends and these dinosaurs like <laughs> dinosaurs come in and they're like they're like wonderful friends to these kids and like they just want to take care of them and like they sacrifice themselves to like get professor screw eyes to let them go so that they don't have to work in his terrifying and evil circus um and, you know, they just do this beautiful selfless thing. And, you know, it's also about sort of fear and, like, letting fear um, rule your life. You know, it's it becomes clear that Professor Screw Eyes is a very fearful person. And that's why he likes scaring people. It makes him feel powerful. Uh, and, and it pushes his own fear away. He's, uh, he you know, he, he loves to scare people because he's just, like, he's very frightened himself. 
Uh, and that's mm-hmm. that's an interesting kind of an idea for a children's film. Uh, you know, he's not just evil for the sake of it. Like you don't, it doesn't get into it much, but it's it's made very clear that like he 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 doesn't like to be alone, and he doesn't like the quiet, and like he just and then his fear ends up devouring him quite yeah. literally at the end of yeah. the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's very troubling. It's a really frightening <laughs> moment. It's a very very frightening moment when those crows all fly away and he's just gone. Uh, <laughs> but you know these it's 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 love and compassion that transform these dinosaurs back into like caring people. Screw Eye turns them into back into monsters again, and Louis like convinces them to like be good again you know they're gonna like be monsters and like eat professor screws and louis like pleads with them like saying like you don't have to be that way like you're better than this and i love you and you know i know that you have a heart and you just gotta remember who you are and then they like turn good again and it's just you know it's just through love and compassion and sympathy that they're able to regain their for lack of a better word humanity and Mm -hmm. it's wonderful you know that's it's not about like defeating the bad guy he defeats himself you know they don't they they just have to like rise above it so it's like it's got these really great poignant thoughts in it for just a bonkers and weirdo movie (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is what i loved about it like these kids i love these children uh uh god i need to look it up because i need to use the girl's name cecilia cecilia thank you cecilia nuthatch uh she cecilia and louie are super duper cute together if um a bit uh glaringly heteronormative uh <laughs> <laughs> well it's just there's this one scene where i'm like Ugh, come on because like they've got they've got some cute little crushes on each other they're like the sort of childhood version of the like uptown girl downtown man yeah. kind of thing and it's really cute it's a good dynamic and i love that kind of a thing i really do um but like at the end like cecilia gives him a kiss and he's like don't do that that's embarrassing like i don't want you people to think i'm a sissy for getting kisses from girls and <laughs> she's like well you're absolutely right louis if anything you should be kissing me and he's like Oh really? And then he kisses her, and it's like, <laughs> come on, come on, come on! But it was 1993. We didn't know any better. Uh, <laughs> but they're just sweet kids, and and I, it's yeah, it's. I will say one thing that bothers me is, um, it seems to really look down on like enjoying scary things because like it's just it's very disparaging of the people who go to see screw eyes circus and not because it's like you know he's mistreating anybody he is i mean he's committing you know terrible uh you know animal rights abuses and stuff like he's (laughs) he's a bad man who's doing bad things to people but the audience is specifically looked down on for like wanting to go see a scary show like there's something wrong with them for enjoying being scared and that's Mm -hmm. not right it's like yeah scary stuff is fun sometimes 
it, like the, like it implies there's something broken about people who prefer being frightened to like going to see comedy and yeah. it's like well no it's different strokes man like it's <laughs> it's okay to like scary stuff like i thought that circus looked kind of rad but <laughs> the issue with screw is that he's like abusing and manipulating people yeah. uh not that he's scaring people <laughs> yeah i it's just uh it's a fun, weird little movie. Not well-reviewed when it came out. And I get it. Like, Disney was w- on the way up at that point. Like, this was, you know, the the Disney renaissance had just come into full swing. You know, 1993, yeah. Little Mermaid had come out a few years previous. And so I get them being like, this is just not up to par. But, like, it's a, it's a, it's a fun and thoughtful little movie. So I think that it, I think it got... Uh, an unfair rap, and I think that it deserves to be uh, it deserves to be remembered and rewatched because it's I mean like it is one of those movies that sort of introduces kids to scary stuff like a lot you know Disney cartoons especially Disney Renaissance cartoons like they don't They're have that like terror in them the way this film does and I think that that is a good thing to make available to children is to to play like like my niece you know she loves that scary stuff and i think that there's got to be media out there for children to maybe deal with that in more age-appropriate ways because like you know as great as i I, you know some newer horror movies are like maybe they're not appropriate for a five-year-old to see because of certain other aspects of them um whereas something like we're back you know it's got that scary stuff and it deals with the ideas of like being scared and watching scary things um but it's not gonna have that other stuff that a five-year-old's not gonna be ready for (laughs) yeah yeah it's uh it's pretty good do you have a another one you want to bring up I mean, since we're already on, I'm already on the IMDb page, I, there's just, like, gold in these hills. Like... <laughs> what you got on there? Well, okay. So, here are just other movies that are I was obsessed with watching. So, we have An American Tale, Five Goes West. Okay. I gotta, which I gotta I watched, say about I watched, that one. You can. Just, it, I watched it way more than the original. Same. I don't know why. <laughs> I think I just didn't have the original on tape. I only I had think five that's probably West. true for us too. And it might also be, it's, it's just a little less dour because an American yeah, show is no, so dark. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So that was another one that I was like, I watched the hell out of five yeah. goes West. <laughs> what was the deal with that movie? And it's interesting because it was directed by the same person who directed, um, we, yeah, we're back. And Balto and yeah. The Prince of Egypt, the best animated film ever made <laughs> in the West, anyway. Uh, the best American animated film ever made. Five Goes West. I decided to rewatch it last oh, week. Oh, no. It ain't good, buddy. It oh, ain't no. good. Like, like I, I, I'm just like, like, there's the the native mice and then there's the yeah that part's real troubling then where they're like, like gonna camp they're gonna the eat burlesque the tiger mice or whatever well there's the burlesque cat miss kitty and i actually oh. like miss kitty a lot okay. she's she's tiger's sort of on again off again girlfriend <laughs> and she's really great like she's empowered and she's 
kind but tough like she's great she you know takes tanya under her wing and is like you want to be a singer i'm gonna help you do it if this is what you want to do i'm gonna show you how and you're beautiful and you're strong and you go out there and you show them who's boss like and we get an amazing 90s makeover scene a little bit yeah it's great where she puts (laughs) the makeup on tanya and she's like look at you oh you're wonderful and you know you're gonna go out there and you're gonna knock them dead just show them what you're made of and she stands up to um cat i can't think of his name uh the bad guy and like she doesn't (laughs) take any crap from him Mm -hmm. and it's it's uh you know she's great she's probably the best part of the movie the thing is it's dull as hell (laughs) it is it's basically just every single western trope just like it's just like a cowboy movie by the numbers whereas you know an american tale it's it's saying something it's doing something it's a really thoughtful allegory that's useful to children for understanding oppression you know like systemic oppression and like that's crazy Mm -hmm. like it's a children's film that like breaks down the ideas of systemic oppression what uh bible goes west it's just like oh no we better go west because the cats broke our ghetto um (laughs) just destroyed it so on a whim let's go be pioneers in in the west um and then it's just like five it's just you know all that stuff it's like oh no turns out the the mayor of this town has a dastardly plan and i gotta find this sheriff and oh he's he's washed up and past his prime so we gotta train a new gunslinger to save the town and it just kind of yeah recycles and it's like that's fine like when you're a child that was my first introduction to those kinds of tropes Mm -hmm. so like okay, that was baby's first Western. That works okay. But like, there's nothing good about it. You know, nothing it's like- sus- it's, Nothing like, sustainable for an adult. It, there's nothing. And it, it, it just doesn't really like do anything thematically of yeah. any interest. You know, it's just like, oh, there's the bad guys and we got to be the good guys and beat them. Like that, that's it. Like the most interesting thing is the subplot with Tanya. And it's like, there, it takes up about a total of eight minutes of runtime. Like there, there's very little there, but the idea of her being like, I want to be a singer, but nobody, you know, takes me seriously. And Miss Kitty's like, you have it inside you. You just got to show them, just go out there and be brave. And that's cool. And I want that movie. But instead we've got Wiley Burp played by uh, Jimmy Stewart, teaching tiger how to be a sheriff and it's like okay we've just got like jimmy stewart and dom deloise playing off of each other for a while and that's pretty fun but it doesn't amount to a lot yeah i was i was pleasantly surprised by we're back and unpleasantly surprised by five old ghost west well at least i remember it fondly (laughs) i did (laughs) i did before last week so, so listeners, just don't rewatch that one. <laughs> if you just don't it, let it live in your memory, and yeah. you don't need to show it to your kids. It's not. It's you can miss that one. That's fine. <laughs> there are some. There are some better ones that have aged well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you I got Thumbelina. Cause it's Bluth, my dude. I know Bluth. Bluth. Okay, so I made a list. A list of the important Bluth ones to me. Um, yeah, Secret of Nim because literally was the stuff of my nightmares. That's another one that's a great way to get kids introduced to like scary stuff. Yeah, 
<laughs> Very scary stuff. <laughs> Even though it's like, <laughs> like, I don't know, just like now it wouldn't be scary at all. It's just, you know. When you're a kid, it's scary. That's kid appropriate exactly, yeah. horror. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. And it's like desperate too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's dire, dire stuff going on. Yeah. There's some good Maluth ones for sure. I mean, Land Before Time, you want to talk about just real heart-wrenching stuff. See, like, the thing about Land Before Time, I don't remember it as fondly because I overwatched it. Oh, like, okay. You kind of got sick of it. Yeah. Well, I went to a Christian school for my first, uh, up until second grade. So, like, that was right. the only thing that played at daycare. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That Land and the Before various Time? Sequels, yeah. It's very, like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what that says about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious what what it was about that movie in particular that, that I mean, it's just like, yeah, this is a decent kids movie that doesn't have anything too controversial in it. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't know. Except That's for the allusions to weed. Yeah, those tree stars, <laughs> dude. <laughs> uh, well. I don't. I don't think I, this conversation would be complete for me if we didn't talk about Quest for Camelot. And we've talked about it before too. We did actually. I decided recently to go back and re-listen to the episode where we talked about it because it was when Allie joined us for our guilty oh, yeah. pleasures episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mostly just Allie and I were like, "Yeah, it's great, and the music's great, and nobody likes it, but I like it." Uh, <laughs> but like, I want to say real things about it because, I mean. Yeah, like I've I've watched it plenty of times as an adult and I can super acknowledge the parts of it that don't work. Like there's some really dorky comedy, just like the silliest sort of kid slapstick, you know, oh, chicken wife beating up her chicken husband for flirting with other chickens, like cow. Yeah. And, you know, just like, all right, like that's funny, I guess. Um, But like... That movie was so formative for me in my tastes. Like, I realized that was my first medieval fantasy story Mm. before anything. Like, that was it for me. That was my first story that I really, like, got into. I I mean, like, this, this movie came out when I was very, very, very little, and I loved it. I watched it avidly. You know, it's it's the story. It's a story about knights and magic and wizards and heroes. And I mean, you know, it's it's this girl hero who she's like, I'm gonna be a knight, and you know, she re- receives a little bit of resistance to that. But ultimately, she's just like, whatever. Like, somebody needs to be a hero. I'm gonna do it. Like, I'm here. I know what to do. I'm gonna go and do it. I'm gonna be brave, and I'm gonna do this thing that I always knew I could do. And she does it. And it's great. And, you know, it's a story of the, um, you know, don't underestimate the little guys because they're the heroes. The, you know, the people who you think can't do it, they're the ones who do it. They're the misfits. You know, we've got a girl who wants to be a knight and her mom's like, you have to be a lady. And she's like, well, I don't want to. So I'm not gonna. You got this blind hermit who's like actually a total badass. Uh, you've got this weird... <laughs> deformed two-headed dragon who's like way tinier and wimpier than the actual like all the other dragons but like they rise up and they're the heroes you know they're underestimated by 
the villain. And that's how they that's how they pull it off. You know, they're not the knights of the round table, but they're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the at the very beginning, I feel like this is very indicative of sort of that theme. Um, Merlin's uh, Falcon, Aiden, I believe is his name, though. Uh, um, he's called through most of the movie uh, Silver Wings. I th- no, no, no. He's called Silver Wings, but through the movie, he's called Aiden. And um, he, like the, it manages to like get the Excalibur away from the Griffin. The Griffin's trying in the beginning trying to steal Excalibur. It ends up dropping into the forest, and the Griffin is like talking to Ruber, the villain, like, "Oh, there was a falcon with silver wings," and Ruber's like <laughs> rolling his eyes at this. He's like, "A falcon? Like you were defeated by a falcon? What's wrong with you?" Like you know, he's just completely flabbergasted that this little bird could have stood up to this big griffin and and you know save the day so you know it's just it's this really wonderful idea of people just rising up to the occasion and and doing what needs to be done because they can Hmm. yeah and you know it's it's got some cruddy animation and some really silly songs i like the silly songs but (laughs) that's a (laughs) that's a personal thing so (laughs) but for real like it it's so it's so formative for me just like thinking about my film preferences and my book like it's weird to me like for for that to have just occurred to me how influential it was just on my sort of media tastes Mm -hmm. so i've been in a imdb hole while you've been talking about (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so now I'm so I was obsessed with the Swan Princess. Oh um, yeah, Princesses which is on an amazing parade movie with some amazing animated costumes and magic. It's it and, looks really good. Like it's yeah. it's a really attractive film, really well animated and like surprisingly aesthetically different from Disney stuff at the time. Well, and as I said, I was going into a hole. And so the director, Richard Rich, um, has directed a lot. Richie Rich? (laughs) Richie Rich directed that movie? Yeah. He also directed The Black Cauldron, The Fox and the Hound. Um, Oh. And like every... So you know how there's been like a million uh, Swan Princess spinoff or sequels? He's directed all of them. So many sequels. He's directed all of them. The same guy directed all... That's so unusual. Uh, Yeah, right? And then, like, he has a bunch of, like, religious movies, like Kids, Ten Commandments, an animated Book of Mormon, and, like... Animated Book of Mormon? What? Yeah. It was a series, I guess. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Never heard about that one. I mean, I'm clicking on it. Let's see. (laughs) It looks a little scary. Swan Princess is fun. It's not, I love that song, Princesses on Parade, because it's just got this great sort of, like, glitzy, like, Broadway sort of feel to yeah, it. Which exactly. <laughs> wasn't really going on in, in cartoons at the time. Like, it's it's really very fun. Uh, mm-hmm. I, it's a good song. <laughs> um, so besides all the early 90s weird, not Disney, amazing animated movies... Uh, I think my other top one is, and, and I think I've talked about it before too, is um, 
Princess Mononoke just because I saw it way too mm. early. I was way too young for uh, yeah. all the violence. Well, yeah. Did you see it like when it first came to theaters in America? I don't think so. I think my babysitter brought it over. <laughs> Do you know how old or you were? Because yeah, I saw it in the theaters I, when it, it came to like a, a theater in Portland and my mom took me to see it and I was like, my life is different now. <laughs> um, I couldn't have been more than seven or eight. Because, yeah, that's about when it came out then. Yeah, it was probably when it came out on DVD that I saw it. Or it would have been yeah. VHS. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But that movie is so, like... I don't even... Like, it's just... Mikey already talked about it. I know. I feel <laughs> There's nothing I could say that he didn't say well, already. I think, like... I think there is, because he really focused on sort of the environmental aspect of it. And for me, it was way more of, like the spiritual and animalistic and also like the mystery of it all because there's just all this crazy stuff happening and I don't have as in even now but especially when I was seven or eight years old had no background with like Japanese folklore or mythology so like to see this little pocket was just like Mm -hmm. Holy crap, where is all this coming from? Why is it so yeah, cool? What is this? It, it's just so well, cool. Yeah, I, I think I remember, um, you know, that was the probably the first time that I saw anything where I was like, okay, this is a cartoon, but this is clearly not a children's movie. Like, it's, you know, I'm, it's, I'm good to see it. Like, I was fine with it, you know, even with all the, like, monstery stuff. Like, it wasn't too mature for me but it wasn't for kids and that like again like i think that really um influenced my conceptions of what what an animation could be it's like oh okay like it's not just disney cartoons like there's other stuff out there there's other ways that this medium can be used and obviously at yeah eight i wasn't really thinking about it in those concrete of terms but i was like okay like also cartoons look like this (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And like are horrifying and beautiful at the same time. Like the prime example would be the the forest spirit is just so scary and so it's cool. It's really unsettling. It's really it an is. upsetting creature. But you're like, don't hurt it because it will kill you. <laughs> yeah and it's like you don't know like it like what it will do and you know you're like should i i I feel like i'm frightened of this even if i don't know whether or not it's malevolent like it's just to be respected and yeah yeah that concept was captured really well just in the way it's framed and the way that they designed it it's just like well yeah because the first time you see it it's a silhouette and it's almost like a Pocahontas slash Bambi-esque silhouette where it's just the deer yeah, and, I the see what you mean there. and it's like glowing yellow light. And then you get the face and you're just like, nope, <laughs> nope, nope, that? nope. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, it's freaky. It's really freaky. But it's also like beautiful and like, and its expression is just like nothing. No expression. Yeah, it's so serene and, and mysterious. Like you just can't, it's unknowable. Yeah, it's it's a it's an enigma. Yeah, I, uh, but okay, that's another one though. I do think um, that <laughs> that and uh, and Quest for Camelot really impacted my storytelling. Even just my like like as a writer, as a storyteller, like 
the the kinds of heroes that I like, the kinds of stories that I am interested in and interested in telling. Like this these these misfits, these you know, these heroes who don't belong there, you know? Well, and if, you, if we think of the, the main characters of Princess Mononoke, like a fatalist hero who doesn't, isn't in it for glory. Yeah, There's, he can gain nothing. He except has, maybe, maybe peace. Except maybe peace <laughs> and there's a small chance he he might be a little bit hopeful that he's not going to die horribly. Like, yeah, he just he just has to. He he basically is just I can't doom my village. I have to leave. Yeah, well, and and that's one thing from from Mikey's uh, yeah, video about Princess Okay, the idea of like these two characters whose whose personhood is has gone away from them for whatever reason yeah. you know they they are not people anymore and they are the only ones who can save humanity and they're not like any other animated character or yeah. even or even non-animated like i can't think of a, like a major film and this is a major film nobody can tell me otherwise where like yeah, yeah. Wh- unless it's like this a major film in that it's not just some obtuse foreign thing that's really trying to do so many things. I feel like this movie does things effortlessly, but obviously it had so much work put into it. Yeah, it just it's it's done so well. It's executed so well that it it looks effortless. You can't see the it, it's the all work shown to it. us. We're not we don't have to be told anything. It's yeah yeah. I mean, Studio Ghibli tells a damn story <laughs> you know right they tell a dancer but like i'm just i'm just further exploring in my mind the sort of parallels here with quest for camelot and princess Mono. okay because you've got like <laughs> this rad girl warrior who's like thrown off the shackles of like propriety and then this disgraced wandering warrior like oh god it's the same thing what? and they're animal friends yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's like, whoa, there it is. That's 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 what turned into Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am today. Yeah, it's great. Oh, uh, I love cartoons, Alex. I love them. I know. Me too. <laughs> so yeah. I think I think we could probably keep talking, but I also, there's something that I, we haven't talked about and I just remembered. And I think it's really important that we talk about it. What's that? Solo. Let's yes. Let's take a few minutes to here at the end, tack on a little bit about solo. Cause yeah, I think this has been a good thorough discussion and I wouldn't be surprised if we come back to cartoons in the future. Yeah. Well, especially if we do happen to turn this into an avatar podcast, when you start watching it and you become obsessed and I'm like, (laughs) No. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, okay. Yeah. Your your sure. impressions on Solo? Um, I loved it. And I thought I was going to be really pessimistic. And I went to see it by myself, which only made me think I was going to be more pessimistic. But honestly, like, the only thing that really stuck out to me was that there were only new aliens. I'm like, I want some Twi'leks and some other things. <laughs> you know i mean obviously there was you know some wookies in there yeah and there was a, i think there was a twi'lek in the background on that slave colony but like i just want i don't know 
I, I just, I'm, I'm really nostalgic for the, and, and especially because in the new trilogy, we're not getting a lot of repeats and I just want the classics. I liked it. I, um, I definitely had some, um, quibbles, um, but overall I definitely had a really good time watching it. And I thought that the, um, actors turned really good performances. I liked the characters. Uh, Paul Bettany is just chewing up the scenery in the best, best way. Uh, and why can't I think of the name of the actor who's playing Han? Because it's really hard to say. Yeah, that's probably why. <laughs> what is his name? Oh, no. Um, Alden I- Ehrenreich. Ehrenreich. Alden Ehrenreich. That's his name. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, he, I, I just, I think he's a doll. He's a doll. And I think that the way that he played Han, uh, made Han Solo more palatable to me. I know that Han Solo is extremely beloved, but we've discussed in the past the problematic issues of Han Solo. Uh, and I feel like his performance was really, um, influenced by what I liked best about Han Solo and the bits of his character that uh, delighted me the most, namely the funniest joke in any Star Wars movie, and I will fight you on this, <laughs> is in episode four when he's trying to cover for the scuffle, you know, they they take out the stormtroopers and then like over the calm, he's like, oh, oh, yeah. is everything all right? He's like, oh yeah, no, it's fine. Uh, everything's fine here. We, we thought we had a situation, but it it's, everything's fine. How are you? How are you? <laughs> and it's the funniest thing that ever happens in a Star Wars movie. And that's the Han that Alden Ehrenreich is playing. And, and he's also not pessimistic either. No, he's not world weary. You know, he's yeah. a scrapper. He, you know, he keeps fighting. And, and I mean, Donald Glover was a gem. Yeah, <laughs> like Woody Harrelson's always delightful. Even though, what in the world does a Star Wars character have any business being named what Tobias Beckett? That's not a Star Wars name. No, that's what a pirate's you? name. That's like a that's like a a Civil War captain name. <laughs> but and I really I really liked the way that um especially the beginning of the film uh all the stuff with him like enlisting uh that all felt very world war ii like obviously yeah. the empire has always been nazi germany but like in a in a, in a new kind of a way it felt like world war ii you know with the trench warfare yeah. and you know specifically that great line where han's like aren't we the you know, like we're the invading force. Like they're just yeah. defending their own planet. And like, and I mean, honestly, like Tobias Beck, it sounds like he could be some kind of a World War II guy. So like, <laughs> it just, with the train heist and all of that, it just felt like, um, like a like a 1950s war film sort of transplanted into Star Wars. And I liked that. Yeah, and... I don't know. It was just fun. It remind. It didn't remind me, but I feel similar to how I felt about Valerian, where it's just fun to watch, and I wasn't feeling too critical of it because I didn't. I wasn't expecting a lot from it, to be honest. <laughs> Same. I went into it with low expectations, and I had fun. Well, especially because of all the drama on the set and with the director, and like mm -hmm. 
um, similar to how what's happening with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, where that movie just looks like a trash can. Like, well, they're kind of avoiding some really crucial parts of the story. So, yeah, we'll have to see about that. We just wanted to make a movie about how they made the greatest song of all time. Well, shut up. There's more to like, it. Like, do you know what that song was about, my man? Because that's pretty important. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I was uh, recently remarking to uh, Will and Dylan how it's so fun to see um, the characters, especially the character actors, the, the, the actors who've crossed over between Star Wars and Marvel and, like, how many of them oh, there yeah. actually are at this point. Like, there's... There's so many of them that like know, you've got you've got Paul Bettany now, you've got um Donald Glover has been in Marvel and Star Wars, you've got uh in uh, Circus. Yeah, uh like there's so many of them. There's so yeah. uh, Mads Mickelson. <clears throat> so like <laughs> they're just sharing they're just sharing character actors between the franchises cuz Disney's just tying everyone together now. They're rounding up everyone. Well, because uh, it's probably just easier contract-wise or something. They're like, oh, yeah, hey, here's a two-movie deal. One's Star Wars, one's Marvel. Yeah, and like they're already in. They've got the connection. Like they, yeah. you know, even if it's just that. But it's pretty funny just seeing how many of them pop up. Yeah. <laughs> and I expect just to see more and more. <laughs> next, next it'll be Robert Downey Jr. in the Star Wars movie. That would be interesting. We've had Benicio Del Toro. Benicio Del Toro has been in both. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. You know what would be so good? So, 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 so good. Uh Uh-huh. I want Tom Holland to be in a Star Wars movie. Yeah, that would be great. Or when's Jeff Goldblum going to show up in Star Wars? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I could handle that. (laughs) That would be a lot. That would would be be a a lot. lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I got to get ready to go. So unless you had anything else you want. Oh, wait. Let's do recommendations. Yes. Um, oh, oh, um, let me look it up real quick. Uh, you go ahead with yours. Okay. So I have a kind of weird ones this time because it's been a pretty busy week. Uh, so we're actually, normally we record um, every two weeks, but because of birthdays and all kinds of stuff going on um i needed to record this episode a little earlier so it's only been a week um and it was a busy week so i didn't um really watch anything new but i uh the the new uh a new gorillas music video just came oh, out yes i just watched it it's good time what is the song called humility yes, something like yes, that yes yes yes, yes. it's, it's so a good. great video there's all kinds of fun stuff because uh, apparently because murdoch is in prison right now he's been replaced by Ace from the Gangrene Gang from the Powerpuff Girls. It is canonically Ace. <laughs> and I love it. I am here for that. It's a great song. It's a great video. I think it's going to be a great album. So everyone, if you haven't yet, check that out. I also have an anti-recommendation here. I'm putting it out there right now. Everybody, stop listening to Pogo. Um, If you're not clear on who that is, he's an electronic artist who does remixes a lot of the time based on, like, drawing sound clips from um, Disney cartoons Mm -hmm. and different things. He did that. He did some really great songs. I like his music a lot. But he – and this isn't – I guess this isn't the first time this has come out, but this is the first time I've heard about it. 
he's a really shitty homophobe. He's a bad person. He's a, he's kind of a garbage man. Uh, he made this vlog video talking about the Pulse nightclub shooting, oh, and I don't want to repeat what he yeah. said, but it's pretty abhorrent. Um, you can look into it yourself if you want to know specifically what he said, but suffice to say he's disgusting and I'm not gonna um, patronize his work any longer. Right? It's Pride Month. Just disavow all homophobes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, give all queer people bladed weapons. Yes. <laughs> so that, I'm, sure, I, I'm sure you saw that tweet and my response to it. Yes, I did. That's why I amended to bladed weapons and not swords. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a great picture up on my Instagram. I found some very good bisexual lighting, so I had to take yes, a selfie. I love that. that. I love that. That was so good. <laughs> um, so I have a couple. I also have a music recommendation. So my very favorite band in the whole wide world, The Presets, they just released their fourth full album uh, on the first. It's called High Viz, and it's not my favorite album they've ever done, but it has a it has everything I need in it. It's got like the really hard hitting um, like singles on it. And then it has some more of the like weird instrumental stuff that they used to do like in their first album beams. Um, so it's just a good time and they're fun and they're great. And they are very queer friendly and Jake Shears, who is a queer musician is on one of the songs um, who I think he also has a, a new album that's headed out soon too. And he's from uh, Scissor Sisters. Oh. Yeah. Um, and then my other recommendation is I got some more poetry to read from the library. And I've been reading a book called Plume by Kathleen Flenniken. Um, she's a Pacific Northwest poet, I think Washington State. Um, and it was... Uh, published by University of Washington Press. And it's basically poems all about um, uh, Han the Hanford nuclear site in, in, near Richmond, oh. Richmond Washington. Um, yeah. So it's like very um, environmental and also um, sort of that uh, corruption of that ideal 50s uh, sort of vision the and like atomic age sort yeah, of it's like... exactly that and it, and it's like there's um i think the first poem in the in the book is about um when president kennedy comes to visit them opening a couple of the new reactors and then it's like a week later he's dead and then <laughs> and then from then on presidents just forgot about this place and it just crumbled hmm. yeah so it's pretty intense and then also just like really good and really interesting and she's like a super accomplished writer and also like engineer like she's hmm. i'm pretty sure she knows all the stuff about what actually is going on in a reactor so oh wow yeah yeah so i've been recommended poems by her for the longest time she used to be the president of the press that published my book um but i'm just really excited to to dive into this poetry book great well cool that does it for today's episode thanks for listening you can find us on apple podcasts stitcher google play anchor.fm and elsewhere
Please rate and subscribe so more nerds can find us. We really appreciate it, and it does make a difference. Please reach out to us on Twitter. We are at LitMeritPod. We post updates, news, um, funny things we find during the week. So check us out. Yeah, it's a good time. Hit us up. Uh, And thanks to Jonathan Colton for the use of our theme song, Fraud, from his album, Artificial Heart. Until next time, remember, no guilty guilty pleasures. pleasures.